Hey guys, welcome to episode 21 of the Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'm your host, Andy Humphrey, and today I do have some original content that was recorded uh, probably in mid-April, maybe the beginning of May, with my good friend Tracy Shields. Tracy is the regional sales manager for Baseline Control Systems. Tracy lives in Denver, Colorado, and you're going to hear all about how he got into this business. You're going to learn about his 20 years of experience in the central control space, mostly working with cities, counties, municipalities, and public agencies. So that's what the episode is going to be about today, is breaking down working with municipalities and public agencies. I just want to take a minute to thank you for being a listener and coming along with us on this journey into everything irrigation, sprinkler, technology related. Thank you so much for listening. And let's get right into this episode with Tracy Shields. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you wanna use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Tracy, welcome to the Sprinkler Nerd Show, man. So glad to have you today. Yeah, hi, Andy, thanks for for having me. Yeah, man, this is a long time coming because you and I talk regularly on baseline related projects and such and other fun hobby related uh, projects. You have a tremendous amount of experience with municipal and public agency type projects. And so wanted to kick off this discussion today all about working with municipalities and public agencies. I'm going to preface this discussion so that anyone listening knows this is not a baseline sponsored, a baseline pitch, or anything specific to baseline products or the company. We're going to talk today about your experience in general as it relates to working with these types of entities and how contractors and distributors can get involved. So before we do that, let's start with you, and maybe you can just tell us who you are, what you do, where you live, and how you got into this crazy business. Yeah, so again, my name's Tracy Shields with Baseline Systems, and I'm the regional sales manager for the mountain states in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. And I got into the business, Andy, back in 1986. Love it, another guy from the 80s, fantastic. Yeah, 80s guy was kind of finishing up my senior year in high school and starting my first summer. And uh, my dad says to me, Tracy, um, you're gonna need a job this summer, so. No way, really? You're gonna need a job? Oh man, your life's is shitty. You gotta work. Yeah, what am I gonna do, you know, all these things? Well, he had a friend, or not a friend, a cousin that owned a tree business. And so they pruned trees and sprayed trees and such. And he had a friend that had a landscape maintenance company. And so I went to work for a company called Normand and Landscape in Fort Collins, Colorado, worked on a landscape, commercial landscape maintenance crew uh, for those guys until 1989, when I decided as a young man that uh, I lived in the most boring place on the planet. So I picked up and moved to Las Vegas, Nevada. So from Fort Collins in the eighties to Las Vegas, Nevada at the end of the eighties there. And Holy cow. Is that because you saw some uh, movie and you're like, Oh wow, that looks, that looks incredible. Look at all the crazy stuff in Vegas. I got to be a part of that. Yes. Yeah, so what it actually ended up one of my, uh, 
uh, good high school buddies had moved there and was working for a landscape maintenance company. And he helped me get a job there before I, I moved over. So when I moved to Vegas, I was immediately thrust into the landscape maintenance commercial type work there in, in the desert, right? Which was much- Man, that sounds like trouble. Like two guys living in Vegas. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. Um, so I worked for this this uh, large outfit and actually, you know, when you're flying into McCarran Airport and coming in, there's a large complex underneath you. Um, and you can see a whole lot of turf and warehouse type buildings and stuff. I used to maintain all of that project down below there and several other of their projects around the east side of Vegas. And while I was there um, was really where I kind of got my focus in my career became water conservation. So kind of graduated from working for a landscape contractor and started my own business. So I had a landscape maintenance business there in Vegas. And during that time period, the Las Vegas Valley Water District had a group of conservate water conservationists that were out and about and they, we called them water cops, right? Because they would come around uh, in a little van and if you had runoff on one of your properties coming down the curb, these guys would jump out of their van with set up a video camera, grab their stopwatches, grab their notepad and paper, and they would they'd stick a ruler in the curb and measure how deep your runoff was, and then they would videotape and time how long your zones ran for. And they would start to follow your zones and your programs around a property, basically build a case against you as a landscape maintenance company and come hunt you down, right? Afterwards, they'd come find you and look for you on that property and the first time they visited your property, it was a warning. The second time was a fine. And so they started. Crazy. Did they, uh, did they play that, that funny song, Bad Boys? Like no. they do on uh, Cops? <laughs> no. But it felt you couldn't hear them a mile away with Bad Boys? Yeah, it felt that way. But so you, second time they showed up, you, they'd start fining you. And so I met a, a guy named Joe Fortier, the conservation district there. And he kind of uh, started to teach me some things about conservation and programming and scheduling and convinced me to go get my certified landscape irrigation auditor certification. So I got that at the IA show in San Diego in 1992. Nice. Yeah. Wow. And so became a certified landscape irrigation auditor, which then again had another level of change in how I perceived how water was applied. Yeah. That really started to hone me in on irrigation and hone me in on water conservation and, and being to help people understand how they could implement processes. In Got it. Yeah. That, and that was, um, I guess, Vegas had a need for that. So you were maybe in the heart of uh, where the demand was for this type of work. But a lot of the country, you, this was way early on. Yeah. No one else was. It was not even on their radar. Yeah, this was early to mid 90s when all this was going on in the in the in that first big boom in Vegas. Right. There were a limited water supply and five to six thousand new residents moving into Clark County a month. Crazy, yeah. crazy. So um, how did you move, get from Vegas back to the Colorado market? <laughs> so. Um, I met my wife there. Our, our oldest son was born in Vegas, but she was pregnant and probably about eight months pregnant. And we were laying in bed in our starter home, nice neighborhood, you know, swimming pool across the street, tennis courts. We had gunshots go off outside the house. She was from Nebraska. I was from Colorado. We decided, hey, you know. You're like, where's the deer? Yeah. There's no deer. And all it really <laughs> was was one family that moved into the neighborhood that brought this type of behavior into the into the neighborhood and we decided, you know what, this isn't 
really how we grew up. This isn't what we want for our kids, this type of environment. And so we decided, hey, let's move back to Colorado. It's amazing how things change once you start to have kids. Yes. You know, you, you start to, your activities change, what you feel is important changes, and the way, where you want to bring up your kids changes. So I yeah. can completely relate to that. That's why we moved to Michigan, kind of out of the, the cities in, in Maryland, because same thing. We are like, nah, we, we don't want this. Yeah, so we just, we uprooted the commercial landscape business and moved it back to Fort Collins, Colorado and reopened it there, right? solar house and moved on and so continued that landscape maintenance business on commercial level doing apartment complexes and hoas and shopping centers and things like that and kind of deploying and implementing some of those strategies that i had brought with me from vegas learned in that different marketplace that i was maybe a little bit ahead of the curve and didn't necessarily fit in at that point and people weren't really willing to pay the price for that type of a service um, because water was so cheap at that point in colorado and so I decided it was it was time to move on. So I went to work for an irrigation distributor. Um, I worked for Horizon in Denver uh, for about a year. I was there for, I think it was almost a year to date. And uh, a company called DVC Irrigation Supply came knocking on the door and went to work for them in 2000, I think it was 2000, 2001, somewhere right in there, right about 2004 2005 they asked me to start their central control division which turned into a full service technical services division so i was in charge of building that division central control and controller sales service support all the way down and and uh started with one control line and and by the time i had left dvc we were supporting 12 different central control or remote access type control systems and had a field service technician working up and down the front range and and we were doing work in new mexico colorado wyoming pretty much and a little bit down in texas wow yeah and it's i think it's pretty incredible i think uh for those of you who are listening of course you're going to be listening from all over the country and i can just tell you that i was not familiar with the the vast expanse of the colorado central control market until fairly recently and if you're in let's say massachusetts there are central control systems but i can just tell you I, I was blown away by how much uh, central control there is out in the Colorado and sort of greater uh, Midwest area of the country. Just just blew me away. And then uh, this last summer when I, I took a few trips to Denver uh, for various reasons, and it was just it sort of dawned on me because it's a high desert. You know, yeah. everything needs to be watered. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. We only get about 12 inches of rain here a year. So very, very arid climate. Lots of sunshine. Yeah. So you've been working with Central Controls sort of exclusively since uh, 2004 or even maybe a little bit before. Yeah. So you're coming up on, yeah, so almost 20 years here. Yeah. And then so last May, May 2019, I decided to take a position at Baseline. And just about a year ago, I started with Baseline. So what types of control systems have you put your hands on before and worked with? lots and lots of experience with MaxiCom. So you're talking about the maturity of the marketplace here in Colorado. And I'm pretty sure, about 99% sure that the very first MaxiCom system ever was installed in Pueblo, Colorado. Awesome. So that's a, a very mature product in this marketplace. And then uh, we worked with uh, signature control systems very exclusively on the front end of that portion of my career. We worked with Weathermatic, Rainbird, so Rainbird MaxiCom, Rainbird Site Control, Rainbird IQ, Rainmaster, 
from the Evolution Oasis desktop type central platform to the iCentral platform. This is fantastic. So yeah, so you've had your hands on a half a dozen different types of products in these applications. Yeah. I think that um, you know some of the folks listening may have heard of all of them. Some may have experience with all of them. Some, some may have seen a MaxiCom controller. Perhaps they have not seen a Rainmaster. Uh, I know I have not worked with Signature. wasn't as popular on the Eastern United States, so I'm not familiar with that one at all. But I know they were fairly popular in Colorado and some of those areas. Well, that's a good sort of leeway into where you've come from. So when we start speaking about these types of applications, You've been working with them for 15, coming on 20 years with uh, all types of products. I'd like to talk about municipal and public agency projects. And those are, I guess, fancy words. So why don't we just start by sort of defining what is a municipal and public agency project? How do we classify those accounts? Yeah, so uh, a municipal project would fall under projects like city parks, um, city streets, medians, most of my experience comes in that city median and city parks setting on the municipal side of things. So, you know, large parks, pocket parks in uh, inside neighborhoods. And then even some here in Colorado, they've turned some of the storm drain areas into little mini parks and they put turf over the top of those storm drains. Okay. So it'd be a, a green space owned and managed or perhaps just owned, doesn't have to be managed, but owned or managed by a city or a town. So city of Fort Collins or city of Denver or Denver Park and Rec. Yeah. And then that those municipal projects would fall under that big umbrella of a public agency. So public agency type projects would be municipal, you know, city school or city uh, parks and then school districts are public agencies, school districts from elementaries to middle schools, junior highs, high schools, Okay. So school districts, got it. That falls under there too. That makes sense. Universities, state universities and universities, they're government owned, they're owned by the state. So those would fall under public agency type projects as well. Mm -hmm. I'd like to understand the specificity of your market because in places like New England, the cities and towns are very small. So we can get a city that might have like one school or town of such and such has got one school one high school football field, maybe it's not even irrigated for that matter, but I know in Colorado, things are a lot different. So can you tell us about sort of the, what the average public agency looks like in terms of number of fields, controllers, parks, that kind of thing? Yeah, so it can vary widely. So in the more rural type communities, you're gonna have that single school district source, you know, a high school, a junior high, middle school, and an elementary, right? And maybe some of those in some of the smaller towns and areas are one or two buildings, really, you know? Yeah, one. or the, and they consolidate. So, hey, this, the consolidated school district. Yeah, and they'll bring, or a unit, like here they'll call them a unified district where there's not enough kids in the county or in a town to populate a school. They'll bring kids from a, other pockets inside that county together to make one school. What would you say like on the on the average though? So uh, if somebody like that may have one controller, they may or may not even have a need for central control because they can just walk out to that football field and make some adjustments. The, the right. need for it isn't quite the same as some of these other types of projects you've worked on. Yes. So up and down the front range, we could see projects, you know, with 60 schools, 80 schools, start pushing numbers up over 100 controllers to do a school district. And more of that you're going to see in the higher population areas, right? Along the front range from Fort Collins down to Colorado Springs kind of 
schools or cities with 60 to 80 controllers, some with 100 or more. So let's just use the example of, as we continue down this sort of process of talking about these projects start to finish, let's just, let's just say, for instance, a public agency has 50 sites, just so we pick a number. Say it's got 50. Let's also then talk about what position these cities are coming from. In other words, what do they have right now? So when you get uh, either called in or introduced through the channel, i.e. from a distributor or maybe from a contractor to go out and start consulting with one of these agencies, can you tell us uh, from your experience where they're currently at with their equipment? Yeah. So in a lot of cases, it's, it's old technology. So when I say older technology, maybe a school district is wanting to utilize their Ethernet network. Some of our older ways of connecting in the industry to Ethernet networks creates some security risks. And so they're looking for new opportunities to patch up the leaks on their network, right? To not let people in and out of their network or a hole in their firewall potentially. Got it. So let's, uh, let me just stop right there. So before we get to the... Um technical connection, what types of products do they have in place? What kind of product is existing? Yeah. So in in the most simplistic form, we may just see standalone controllers, right? Just your simple Hunter, Rainbird, Toro, Eritrol controllers that got to go out physically walk up to and program. And those would be like a Rainbird ESP LX or Hunter ICC or a Toro total control, sort of just a standard, a single site controller. Yeah. And then we see in our market, a heavy density of uh, central control, like we talked about earlier. So, you know, we'll see the Rainbird Maxicoms, the Toro Sentinels, you know, some of those older desktop style central controls and, and just a wide variety of those systems. I mean, it's every make, model, and brand across this marketplace. Okay, so there are a handful or a lot of cities that made this type of investment either in the late 80s or the 90s or the 2000s. At some point in their past, they made a decision to invest in a uh, centralized control system. And that's what you were doing at DBC. <laughs> Just to circle back is you were helping them with these with these systems through Correct. the 90s and, and 2000s. Okay, so we've got some sites. I'm just trying to classify this. We've got some public agencies that may not have central control at all. They've got standalone controllers. And then we have public agencies that have existing centralized products that have reached what we might call end of life. There's just, you can't make this system, you can't bring it into the year 2020 because it was designed and engineered for the year 2005. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about that. So when it comes to a city who has an existing central system, and it's not up to date 2020, what does that look like? What does that mean? One of those we were just talking about are are potential security issues on ethernet because ethernet's a great way to communicate to a central control in today's world. Um, It's fast, it's reliable, it's dependable. Some things that we're seeing across the industry, I think it's a struggle for all of us is keeping up with cell phone technology, right? The constant change from 2G to 3G to you know now 4G and now we're talking about 4G LTE and and keeping up with those types of things. So we may see some systems that uh, potentially have been neglected in that upgrade process and they're still potentially on a 2G uh, cell tower that's you know communicating intermittently. We see a lot of older UHF radio systems across this marketplace and you know the FCC is not too long ago, a few years ago, cut into that. 450 megahertz band and now it's a narrow band they cut it in half wow 
some people refer to it as business band. And there's looming rumors that that potential UHF network get cut in half there again, making it even a narrower band. Yeah. And I think uh, what's what I find interesting is those are very innovative technologies for the time. So if you think about, let's just say it's, I don't know exact dates, let's say it's 1990 and you have a walkie talkie and you can use that walkie talkie to turn on the sprinkler and spray somebody. That is that is amazing like think about the smiles and like the joys of to be able to do that in 1990 you that was very high tech (laughs) yeah very high tech absolutely yeah and now we just have different ways of doing that because technology has changed so much in 1990 we didn't even have a cell phone i mean we had the internet but nobody used it because it wasn't a like publicly open internet so it's just uh totally a different time right now Good. So we've got this old legacy, let's call it, technology out there that's reach end of life. Um, a lot of these sites you've worked with in your career path. What is a public agency going through? How do they uh, know if they should update? How do they go from 1990 to 2020? Yeah. So, I mean, it can be, I see it's all over the board, right? I see um, wholesale changes which are, are a lot more rare in most cases, the instances that we pick a park, right? Or we pick a site that needs upgraded. Maybe it's the most troubling site from a communication standpoint or hardware standpoint. We've just constantly had hardware issues at the site. Let's upgrade here. Most of the time it's picking a site or a handful of sites and simply just getting started. We need to talk about funding when we start that process. So how, how is the municipality gonna fund that project? Um, sometimes they can get funding from uh, their water agency. So maybe public agency also has a water department, right? Provides potable water to the community. Sometimes they'll help fund that as a conservation effort because the ROI on return on investment on the equipment is typically very quick, right? So those are some of the funding conversations that, that we have with municipalities and public agencies as we begin the process. And, and I always like to say, hey, let's start with your most difficult site. Which site gives you the most trouble? What's the crazy solutions, the things you just can't figure out with your product today? What's, what are some examples of uh, difficult sites? would be multiple water sources, sharing maybe a single water source with multiple controllers. So maybe we've got a a six inch main line that runs through a large city park and we've got seven, eight, sometimes maybe 15 to 20 controllers in that park. And they're all sharing this looped main line, which creates a very specific problem with flow management. Yeah, they've got some, so essentially hydraulic uh, issues that can be stemming from multiple controllers and single water source or single controller and multiple water sources, but they got some hydraulic problems. That's usually the most prevalent problem is the hydraulic issue. How about how far, uh, since I don't know these, these areas, what kind of geographic area do these controllers spread uh, in terms of, are they within a five mile radius, 50, 100, how big are these areas? Yeah, so we can cover pretty vast areas in some of these cities and and pretty hilly up and down terrain creates unique problems in communication as well. But, uh, you know, we may see 5, 10, 15 miles spread from one side of a city to the other side of the city. Gotcha. So so problem could also be that site that takes 30 minutes to get to 
that people never go to because they're lazy and they don't want to drive all the way out there. So they let it just do its thing. So we've got uh, site challenges and that's a really good place to start. I would agree um, because sites that are easy, you know what you need. It's just a controller. You put it up there, but you're not really solving any particular site issues. Um, What other challenges do the public agencies have? And maybe what I'm thinking is like internally, like are there people ready for this technology? Are they asking for it? Is there internal pushback? People thinking their jobs could get eliminated. What types of like internal communications are going on? Yeah, so there's any mix of those things, right? Sometimes there's a person that's made a decision 10, 15, 20 years ago to go with a specific technology. They've got it in their mind that they can't change course because it's going to make them look bad, right? I made this decision and the city made this investment and it was at my recommendation how can I justify a change? Oh, interesting. That's a good call, right? I can see that. And, and because technology advances so quickly, that decision may have been made as recently as three or four years ago. Could be, yeah, yeah. Or, or even more recent than that, let's, let's hope not, but there's definitely legacy products still being sold today, for sure. And it's kind of helping those people um, understand technology and how technology changes and how fast it changes. And typically right there beside them is another department, the IT department, that's changing everybody's desktops and laptop computers on a three to five year plan. They're constantly updating and changing. Likewise with your phone, you know, we're changing our, our, we're updating our phone or getting a new phone. Most of us every one year to two years, right? Mm Mm-hmm as our plans run out and go get updated, you get your next phone. And so just being able to relate things like that, that, Hey, this doesn't mean that you made a bad decision 20 years ago. You made a great decision. You bought a great product to fit into the, some of the new complexities of today's world with communication issues and communication troubles, hydraulics, things like that, that it's time to make a new decision, which will then in turn help you look even better that you're on the cutting edge, you're paying attention to what's best for the city or the school district. Right, right. And I guess that could be something to consider if there happens to be a public agency listening to this. One thing to consider would be the flexibility for future updates to a platform. Can it be updated? You know, how long is the uh, the lifespan supposed to be? And that could potentially be tied to the warranty. You know, Mm -hmm. hopefully a manufacturer intends that product to last as long as the warranty. Yeah. And I, and I do appreciate that point on internal staff because we've probably all found ourselves in these positions where you make a decision and then you feel like you have to just honor that choice. And so you keep going down the path. It's like, well, I missed the exit. Um, Should I turn around and go back or should I drive to the next exit? And then once you get halfway there, you go, well, I might as well just go to the next exit because I'm already halfway yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just going to keep going until I get there. <laughs> <laughs> right. So let's move to kind of the next uh, thing I'm thinking about here. If they either don't have a, a central control system or they have one that has reached end of life, what are, they, what are their goals by updating their equipment? What are they trying to achieve? Outside of the challenges, we did talk about challenges, but I'm thinking more like what's their, how do they know they did the right thing at the end? What's their goal? The number one goal, I think, is protecting a valuable resource in water, right? Having the latest and greatest technology to manage that resource 
um, helps them maximize their return on investment, helps them maximize their labor. We see lots and lots of school districts, uh, cities, county facilities growing in this marketplace, right, and expanding. And they're constantly, every year, they're building multiple new schools, multiple new parks, but yet the park staff or the ground staff at a school or a university doesn't grow in size. So they stay the same, right? So they maybe this parks department had 20 people, any combination of people that just mow, and then they've got a handful of maybe one to five irrigators in there, right? New technology can give that irrigator a reduced labor effort, right? It's like adding one or two people to the staff. So you're not really um, going to implement a central control and go in and lay off a bunch of people because you're already behind the curve. You need more people. And so this helps you add people to the equation because now you can you can have remote access to a park that's 30 minutes away. If you're John and you're a, a tech for the city and today you have 15 parks that are under your responsibility and next year they add another one and the year after that they had three more and before you know it you're being paid the same amount of money you have the same number of hours in the day but now you've got five more parks or ten more parks under management but you don't have any more time or money yeah to manage them and so i think what you're saying is you can reduce those efforts so that you can manage more parks with the same amount of manpower yeah, just think of the ability to have a crew across town. Maybe they're 30 minutes, 40 minutes away from you, and you're working on a problem. You're Maybe you're fixing a mainline break today. Another crew's fertilizing a park that's 30 minutes across town. They can call you and say, hey, John, we're done over here fertilizing. Can you water this fertilizer in for us? You don't have to go across town. You can simply get on your cell phone and start a program. Mm -hmm. and, and let it run, let it water in. Maybe it's a call from the spray crew that says, hey, we just put down some post-emergent uh, weed herbicide here today. Can you make sure nothing waters here for 48 hours? Right. And so you don't have to go to the clock anymore. You don't have to go over to that site, especially in those standalone situations. You can be right where you're at and log into that controller and suspend irrigation for for 48 hours. Right. With, without, um, so in, let's say in 2000, you would make those decisions, commands, whatever you want to call it from your desk in your office, right? You would right. drive to your office, you'd get to your desk and then you would be able to communicate from that central location to the controllers. And now in 2020, you can do that from everywhere because the central, what we call central is not a specific location. The central is the cloud. Yeah, exactly. As I'm hearing what you're saying about the legacy product and from what I know about today's technology, that's really the fundamental shift is moving that desktop application and that desktop communication protocol to the field, whether it be radio or static IP, Ethernet, et cetera, at the time and moving that central location from that desk into the cloud so you have access from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which which goes back to your to your labor. So I made two notes that the city for their goals are usually looking at two things. Number one is water and, and protecting that water resource, minimizing that water resource, especially as as they grow and they add more homes. And then the second one is labor. And I wanted to ask you, which do you feel on the average is more important to the public agencies today in your market? Is it water or labor from the public perspective? Um, I think it's it's water. Water is the, the resource that the public sees. 
they see parks irrigating maybe at the wrong time of day. You know, here we really shouldn't be irrigating in the middle of the day. And so maybe a park is running just outside somebody's backyard and that creates phone calls and PR problems. Um, maybe a zone stuck on and that system that that's currently deployed there can't shut that zone down. The diaphragm's bad and that zone won't shut off electronically. That water runs and it's been running now for five, six hours and it's starting to flood down the streets and destroy streets and sidewalks. So that's a, it's a hot spot with the public. And so I think it comes to the forefront. And, and then it's also the, one of the biggest places to save dollars in the budget water and labor. And I, I do think in some parts um, it could vary. So I appreciate you sharing what, uh, what your experiences are in Colorado. And my guess is that in half the areas, water is more important than labor. And in some areas, water may be still inexpensive where labor means more than water. Uh, so it could depend on, on which one is more important. So now that we've discussed what a, what a public agency is, the types of products that they may have existing, uh, what their goals are uh, to retrofit and move forward with new equipment. Where do they typically start? Do they start with uh, you as a manufacturer's rep? Do they start with a contractor that services their site? Do they start with the distributor? Where do they start their process? Yeah, so it really can stem from any one of those three, but those three are the most common. And and I would say it's the, the two most common is going to be starting with the manufacturer rep or the distributor or both. But the distributor plays such a big role in the local market, right? Like I said earlier, I cover the mountain states and the Pacific Northwest states. The distributors in those marketplaces have interaction with these city and public agency school district people on a daily basis at their counters. So typically that's where the conversation starts first. I think I would uh, agree from what I've seen out there, starts with the distributor. And I think that, well, I'm sure we'll get to this in just a minute, but a investing in a institutional commercial type product, which is what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a X core controller that is, you know, essentially disposable. We're talking about an institutional product that would be similar to buying a fleet vehicle for a city. And where are they going to take the fleet vehicle to get service? They could either do it in-house or take it to the dealer for irrigation equipment. You know, there are no irrigation equipment service uh, centers, there's distributors. And so having that relationship and knowing, I think who you're going to bring your product to or who's going to come out and help you, who your dealer is, is really important. Yeah. So they reach out to their distributor and uh, start the conversation. And then where does it go from there? What do they take for their next steps? They're going to start looking at what's the problem that I'm trying to solve? How complex is my problem? in the marketplace and how, how wide does it vary from park to park or school to school and, and uh, start to narrow down which products can provide the appropriate solutions. Mm -hmm. um, and as you and I know, not every product is the solution for every project, right? Yep. It varies widely where you could have plenty of operant options in a very simplistic situation to a very narrowed list in a complex situation. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's see, so distributors historically sort of uh, carried specific brands. More so today, we're seeing distributors carry all brands with the mm -hmm. exception of control systems because they're uh, more technical, they require more resources. They also require more resources on the front end for things like we're talking about. And I don't want this to be a loaded question, but do you think that it would be important for a municipality to ask their distributor 
or ask someone about all products because if you go to your distributor, you're only going to learn about the products that they carry. So how, how could a distributor learn about all the potential products uh, that could be a fit? Sometimes here, like here in Colorado, we've got distributors that are very specialized in the central control market and have staff that are doing that on a daily basis. And so they know a wide range of what's out there. And so to seek out a distributor that's got that type of staff would be critical in the decision-making process. Um, not only are they gonna know more about all of the products available, but they're also going to have that support staff once you've purchased. So now that your city or school district has purchased, decided on a product and purchased a product, does that distributor have the support staff to help you, right? These are more complicated, complex communication scenarios sometimes or hydraulic scenarios. And do they have the staff that's dedicated to be in the field with you and, and help you walk you through these things? At this point, they're working with their distributor. They're learning about different solutions uh, for their projects. They're potentially scoping out the most difficult projects, right? Because you want to solve most difficult. At that point, is that sort of where they start to develop their material lists or the, the overall sort of price and scope to do the whole shebang, yeah. if you will? Yeah, evaluating what's in the field and, and taking note of what's in the field. And, you know, you're going to want to know some things. Right. So you've done this before. So talk about that. How do you actually go about understanding all the equipment needed to retrofit these 50 sites? Really, you need to put boots on the ground, right? And eyes on the, on the existing product because you need to know things in order to put together an accurate quote. You need to know, are, are, are you replacing a wall mount controller at this site? Are you replacing a pedestal mount controller at a different site? How are they commu currently communicating to that site? can give you some indication as to what you might need to look at for a communication device or how you may be able to improve the situation of a potentially poor communication site. You're gonna to wanna to gather information like station counts. Are they using flow there now? And, and if they're using flow, are they having issues with flow? Maybe they've got a, a four inch hydrometer in there. They're fine reading all of their flows of the large rotor and larger spray zones. But then when the drip zones on that project start to run, those drip zones flow value drops so low, it drops below the resolute, the lowest resolution of that meter or flow meter, right? So now they've got all this unscheduled flow per se, or flow that's very inaccurate. And mm -hmm. so you're gonna wanna determine, can you provide a solution for that? So you gotta put boots on the ground, you, got, you have to get station counts. You got to look for existing flow sensors. If there's not an existing flow sensor, you got to figure out, can you run a wire over to it? Should you go wireless to this flow sensor? Uh, do you have to put that under a road, a sidewalk, all the little, the little details that would be necessary? The only way to do it is boots on the ground. And, may, and maybe another question might be, can you consolidate controllers? Mm, that's a good one. What would that mean? So let's talk about that to consolidate controllers. Um, so maybe you've got controllers in a in a mechanical room or a pump a pump house or something like that, or just control a bank of controllers on the wall, right? And with some of today's more modern technology, you may be able to fit um, a hundred to two hundred zones into a. Okay, so if somebody could have two just pick a pick a brand two forty eight station Hunter ICCs. Mm -hmm. They're right next to each other because that was the highest station count available at the time. Yeah. So they bought two of them <laughs> and today you could take two controllers and make it one. Correct. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Perfect. 
so if we have this equipment list, and again, I'm trying to go through the evolution all the way through, we've got this uh, potentially material list. Can they just uh, write a PO to the distributor or how do they, what's the purchase process look like? It's really different with every public agency. So if you're starting small, sometimes there's a certain amount of budget available that they can purchase um, without going to bid. And then when you exceed that dollar value, you're, you're going to go to public bid. And in a lot of cases anymore, you know, the, um, whether it's a city school district public agency type customer is, is mercy to that um, low bid potentially, right? They have become more and more savvy to understanding, you know, uh, the more savvy consumer, right? We've got all this information at our fingertips on the internet. They have then decided to write a specification for this project. And mm -hmm. they've done their homework and they've picked their partners and they know that I've got a great central control manufacturer and I've got a great distributor partner. And now I need to go solicit a public bid. And so they'll write a specification for the product they want and the type of service that they want. And so people need to at least be providing that type of a minimum. Right. Cause this is not a commodity. This is not, um, just saying I, I need uh, this many thousand feet of PVC pipe and the same PVC pipe is available from three different manufacturers. This is something that based on having boots on the ground that we just talked about has been essentially specifically engineered for this, this uh, municipality. Yeah. Okay. So it goes out to bid. You're saying they could buy a demo controller or one or two and this and that, yeah. but uh, generally speaking, it'll go out to a public bid situation. Right. And then who is bidding on these projects? Typically, it's the distributor, unless an installation is involved, and then maybe a combination of a distributor and a contractor, or, or maybe they've already made their decision on a central control line, and they've written a specification for it, and they build a new park, and that new park goes out to bid in a construction phase, right? A contractor's going to bid on that. But if they're doing a wholesale change of controllers, and they're going to do that type of work in-house, then that project is typically going typically going to go out to bid to a distributor. And that distributor is bidding on the material, the product for right. that, not the labor. Correct. Correct. Are there instances where the public agency does a, I don't know what you would call it, turnkey? You know, the bid is for to furnish materials and labor and com and completely uh, finish the project. Yeah, and then and then two scenarios develop from there, right? Because the distributor is going to be the most competitive on the on the equipment. And the contractor is going to be the most competitive on the labor to do it, right? So you may, depending on your marketplace, may see the contractor take the lead in that bid. Or in some cases where you've got a, a technical services division or a very committed, technically central control minded staff, a distributor, they may put together a turnkey contract where they go out to very specified contractors in their community that they know. Mm, like a qualified bid. Uh-huh. And they'll bring those groups of guys in to execute the, the installation portion of that project. So I've seen it. I've seen it go both ways. Have you seen uh, situations where the municipality installs it themselves? Yeah, I see that a fair amount as well. And I'm going to assume they'll get support from their distributor you right. know, to help them along the way. But sometimes they have uh, either irrigation on staff, electricians on staff, and the manpower to do it in-house mm -hmm. all right so they bid this project uh let's say it's, it's awarded when it comes to installation how long do these projects or a single site you know how long does it take to install them 
just depends on dedicate. Like if they're going to do it in house, depends on how much how much resources can they dedicate to uh, with their staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, make they make for great uh, wintertime projects in that kind, and then also that kind of summertime lull. You know, once all the kids have gone back to school and um, we've got all of our systems started up, we're kind of riding in that uh, that July that heat, the July August kind of period where we've stabilized all our systems and we kind of get this natural little lull in our marketplace and and in other marketplaces around the country. And those are great opportunities, right? To rededicate resources on your staff to do some installation work. Okay. Do you, can you install just a couple controllers or do you have to do it all at once? You can just install one, simply start with one controller. Yeah, so it's not an all or nothing type scenario. It's uh, it can be very simple and basic in its beginnings and and grow from there. This question will be kind of going back to uh, kind of where we started. So, have you seen municipalities that, let's say, have got some legacy product? They haven't gone through the process of putting together a, a master specification to go out to bid and this and that. Have you seen municipalities just simply start retrofitting one controller as soon as yeah. one existing legacy controller fails? Yeah, yeah, all the time we see that. Um, pretty regular one-sided time like that and they'll run both centrals kind of in tandem until they uh, get to that tipping point right because if your legacy system is being controlled off of let's say a desktop the new system is being controlled from the cloud so they can sit side by side and you can have two systems going without problem yeah yeah so let's say they get it all installed. What what's sort of like the final step on this? Uh, how how does municipalities typically get trained to, to learn how to use their new equipment? So most manufacturers have training um, where they'll train um, your staff on how to use their product, and then the distribution level also. Those committed central control distributors are going to have staff and people that can provide training as well. And so that's those are a couple of different ways for training. Some manufacturers will have online. Uh, training materials that people can log into remotely and take and along with in-person trainings. Right. What do you find it's working well uh, for you and your market in regards to training? I think it's a combination. It's the the online courses uh, that we provide and then the face-to-face courses, uh, whether they're an in-market training or actually physically, if you can get a, an, an end user back to the factory kind of thing, right? I was having a conversation with a gentleman who runs a, a online training company. It's new, uh, iratechtraining.com. He, he may be on an episode uh, either before this or after this, not sure. But we were having this discussion about sort of training as close to the need for the information as possible. And so you could get all these guys in a room at the end of the project and say, let me show you how it works. Yeah. And then uh, two weeks later, they're using it and they're like, I. I know I took this class, but my mind was elsewhere or it went in one ear and it went out the other. I wasn't paying attention. My phone rang. I went to the bathroom that on demand is almost uh, the best possible scenario. You're standing in the controller in front of the controller. You don't know what to do. You call your distributor, you call the manufacturer rep, or you call right into support. And if you can get your answer right at the time that you need to learn it, it tends to sink in better. When you use it, you keep it right. When you don't use it, you lose it. Absolutely. So I'm trying to think we, this was great because we went all the way from sort of talking about the types of municipalities that are out there. Some have irrigation, some don't, some have uh, standalone controllers like ESPMCs and Hunter I-Cores and Toro Total Controls. And then we've got 
cities that have legacy product, a, a central control system that they in, invested in in 2005. They put in 150 controllers. Mm -hmm. but the technology in 2005 is different than we need today. So we're going through this, I don't know if you want to call it migration, but this transition to uh, 2020 technology, this was really good, very helpful. Um, who do you think could benefit from this, i.e. new installation contractors, maintenance contractors, distributors, uh, manufacturers, reps? Um, who, who's sort of the target for assisting with these types of projects? I think when you jump in, um, you know, there, you're going to have a handful of contractors around the country that are very, very good at central control. And we've got some here in, in the Denver market that are very good at central control. And then we've got distributors that are very good at central control. And I think you also, I think it's a partnership. I think everybody working together. So you want to have a strong manufacturer rep as well that that can help you through the project and knows the ins and outs and is able to help you as well as the distributor. I think it, I think it really becomes a partnership. If you are a uh, distributor and you're listening to this, uh, I think you said, Tracy, a lot of these guys are walking into branches. A lot of uh, city personnel are walking into distributor branches on a regular basis, once a day, once a week, once a month, buying replacement valves and replacement I-40 sprinklers and things like that, that they should really be kind of keeping their eyes open, maybe asking them some questions. Hey, John, what are you guys using for control systems? You know, yeah. oh, we've got uh, Rainbow Maxicom. Okay, great. How's that working out for you? Are you happy with it? Do you want to upgrade it? Um, mm -hmm. and, be, and be watching for these types of opportunities. Uh, let's see, if you were to think about the working with public agencies, what, uh, what stands out to you the most in terms of uh, maybe what you enjoy the most? The most fun would be those scenarios where um, you're able to really partner with a public agency, school district, city, county, whatever it happens to be, but you're able to truly partner with them and get away from my product this, my product that. Let's talk about solutions. Let's talk about how are we going to fix your worst nightmare here? How, how are we going to bring this all together? And then working with them hand in hand and seeing the light bulb go on, right? And seeing the solution, the problem, seeing the problem get solved and just, just working with people and helping people. And it's, it's what I love most about what I do is helping people solve their area. That's fantastic. Problem solver, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. I love what you said about, um, you know, how can we solve your worst nightmare? <laughs> Cause guess what? They'll probably sleep yeah. better at night for yeah, real. Cause that right? worst nightmare wears them out. It's there every day. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. I, uh, if somebody wants to reach out to you, maybe it's another public agency in Florida. It doesn't matter. Wherever somebody's listening and they, they hear uh, our conversation today and they want to ask you a couple questions, what's the best way for somebody to reach out to you? They can find me um, on the BaselineSystems.com website. Um, I've got my phone number there. Um, they can reach me on my cell phone, which is 970 uh, 939 6143 and they can reach me on email as well at uh, tshields at hydropoint.com awesome tracy well we could probably pick one of these categories to do a deeper dive into later on because we kind of did a ten thousand foot view over the whole process and uh yeah look forward to doing that again sometime with you so thank you so much yeah thanks for having me really enjoyed it cool have a great day bye andy